Welcome to each of you as we come to this hour of worship. Glad to have you here with us, especially if you are a visitor here. We're glad to have you here today and hope that we succeed in making you feel at home here so that you'll want to come back to worship with us on uh, many, many future occasions. Uh, I was out here a few moments ago trying to explain to some of the children. They were wondering why I was wearing this black dress. <clears throat> Answer is because it looks pretty. I, I don't know. <clears throat> this evening, uh, we have a church-wide catered supper at 5 o'clock. We hope that you'll be here for that. Uh, this is not uh, just for the folks involved in the Sunday night activities. This is for all of us. We want to try to provide more opportunities to, to be together, to get to know folks a little bit better. So I uh, hope that you'll be here tonight at 5 o'clock for the catered supper. And uh, there are activities that follow at 6. Um, the children's choirs will begin working on their Christmas music um, from 6 to 6.45. And they have an educational experience till 7.30 after that. There are activities for adults as well in terms of Bible studies. Uh, so we call your attention and reminder of that. The gears are turning for Christmas already. The Christmas choir begins practice this Wednesday night. Some of you may have some time uh, to dedicate to singing for the Christmas season that you don't have throughout the whole year. And so that is what the Christmas choir is. They meet uh, downstairs in the uh, choir room on uh, Wednesday nights. Uh, if you'd like to sing, uh, we open the invitation to you to be present for this. And I thought this was a neat little thing the children were handing out this morning. It's got a picture of a, a little child in a witch's outfit, and it says, prick or treat. See you at the blood donation drive on October the 24th. So this is a reminder that we will be uh, having the blood mobile uh, by here in the social hall area on the 24th of October. And we appreciate our children for helping to pass out the prick or treat cards today. Let us now begin together our time in worship.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. Lee Dumas made an announcement at the first service. I don't know that Lee's here for this service. For, regarding basketball season coming up soon, this year the sign-up for all ages will be done online. We have gone high-tech. Uh, <clears throat> I guess they think that if you're young enough to still play basketball, you know how to use a computer. I don't know. But anyway, if you go to Greer Church, Dot com, which is our website, greerchurch.com, there will be a way to sign up for, um, for the basketball program this year. And there also is going to be a bit of a registration fee this time because of rising costs to join the leagues. So um, be advised of that as well. Our Old Testament lesson is from the book of Job, chapter 23, verses 1 through 9 and 16 and 17. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what God would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would not press charges against me. There an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And then verse 16 God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me, yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is on uh, page 809. It is Psalm 90, and I invite you to stand as you're able as we join in sharing this passage of Scripture together responsively. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you turn us back to the dust and say, Turn back, O mortal ones. For 
You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass which is renewed in the morning. For we are consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are overwhelmed. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The Who considers the power of your anger, the awesomeness of your wrath? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Here now our epistle lesson from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here ends the lesson.
There is absolutely no energy crisis in that age group. <clears throat> I remember hearing many years ago, I heard about the, the two puppies, two puppies were in the backyard watching a group of three-year-olds running around, and one puppy said to the other, if we acted the way they do, they'd give us worming medicine. <clears throat> it's about the truth. Thank you, children, so much for sharing with us today. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of children to us, for how sad and, and lonely and quiet our lives would be without them. And we thank you for the energy they bring to our homes and to our church as well. And thank you for letting us look through their eyes and experience again those discoveries of faith as we see them learn the good lessons about Jesus loves me, this I know. And something inside of us is renewed when we see the next generation embraced by the love of God and come to understand your great love for them. And we're so grateful that you give us an opportunity to be your partners in raising the next generation in the faith in Jesus our Lord. Lord, we are thankful too that what is not possible for us is possible for Almighty God. For when we fail through our best efforts to find you and to understand you or to comprehend your nature and your greatness, you took it upon yourself to come to reveal yourself to us in many different ways, but certainly supremely to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we failed to live as we should and to find our way into your presence by the goodness of our lives. You did what we could not do, for you came to show us how to live in Christ Jesus, but also to assure us that you love and pardon and forgive us, and you were willing to go all the way to a cross to prove how willing you are to forgive us and to give us eternal life. That which is not possible for us is possible for Almighty God, and we are here this day because we have received the gift of your love and the gift of your grace and the gift of eternal life, and we're here to tell you that we acknowledge that gift and we are thankful for that gift. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to use the riches that you have given us to bless others 
and to take care of others. And please do not let us use wealth as a weapon to deny power or rights to others. Help us, Lord, whenever our riches get in the way to remember how Jesus told one rich man to give it all away and then become your follower. Lord, we come now willing to put aside anything that is in our way of following the Lord Jesus in the way that he would lead us. Whatever it is, we put it aside and we say, Lord, we want to follow you. For you have given yourself completely to us. May we give ourselves to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now continue our worship by giving.
seated. <clears throat> Here now our gospel reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here ends the lesson. It must really be difficult for a foreigner to learn the American version of the English language. We don't say anything plainly that we can complicate with some idiom. We could say that it rained very hard but instead we say, it was raining to beat the band. Which band? The Beatles? The New International Version of the Bible could have just said that the rich man was very sad when he heard the words of Jesus, but instead it says, at this the man's face fell. That sounds quite painful to me. I really hate it when my face falls off. Today we will see if we can figure out why the man's face fell. One day a rich man approached Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And that's a very important question. But Jesus seemed to think that the man's salutation was just as important, if not more important, and needed to be addressed first before he turned to the main question. Why do you call me good? Jesus responded. No one is good except God alone. As an Orthodox Jew, Jesus would have naturally recoiled at the very idea that someone would call him good. Goodness, holiness, was understood to be something completely beyond the possibility of any of us human beings ever attaining, and apparently Jesus himself felt that way. God alone is the one who is good and holy always. It is a dangerous thing to claim something for ourselves that belongs only to Almighty God. Now later on in church history, when Christians began to teach that Jesus was God on earth, this passage was sometimes used to bolster that claim, reinterpreted to mean that Jesus was subtly claiming to be God, but scholars say that could not possibly have been on Jesus' mind that day or his intention. Rather, he was being true to his faith heritage, teaching the truth of his heritage by affirming that no human being on earth deserves to be given the respect that only God in heaven is due. Now, some of you may find this difficult to believe, but sometimes we men of the cloth, or polyester as it is, have to go out of our way to prove to people that we're just normal human beings. That we have no inherent holiness within us that deserves special fear or respect. Now I know that I've done an especially good job here in Greer and at Memorial at making sure that y'all know that. <laughs> One day at the Waffle House a man came over to me and he said, aren't you a man of God? And I answered, sometimes, because that's the truth. Sometimes I am. But sometimes I'm not much of a man of God. I'm just a sinner who's still being saved by grace. And I recoil at the idea of being different from the rest of you all who are being saved by grace. It's important for people to know that we preachers might have an unusual calling and a special set of training, but God does not remove our humanity from us. Just because we're preachers, it doesn't mean that we're better than you folks, or that God favors us above you, or that he hears our prayers more readily than he hears your prayers. I know many lay people that are closer to God than I am, I like to remind people that on three different occasions I have led the invocation at Walford College home football games. And at all three games, Walford has lost. <laughs> Are you sure that you want me to pray for you the next time you're in the hospital? <laughs> when we lived in Rock Hill, our young children would come home from school laughing because some of their superstitious little friends believed that since Hillary and John were preacher's kids, they had secret powers to bless or curse them. And I thought, man, this is the 21st century. We got people believe this. Jesus said, why do you think that I, 
being human, would be so full of goodness that I would be like God alone is. If there is any goodness to be found within any of us here on earth, it is an alien goodness, a goodness not our own, a goodness bestowed upon us by Almighty God, for God alone is good. Next, Jesus moves on to the main question that the rich man has asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Reverend Stacy Elizabeth Simpson, a Southern Baptist pastor in Georgia, writes that this story is actually written in the form of a healing story. Like other healing stories, the man comes and kneels before Jesus. Like other healing stories, Jesus tells the man to go and do something and that as he does so, he would be healed. The only difference is the kind of sickness that this man had. His sickness was the illness of meaninglessness in life. The illness of having succeeded in business and also in religious pursuits, but still being empty. He was this, his was the spiritual illness of not knowing why or even if God was going to accept him into heaven. Reverend Simpson writes, what this man lacks is that he does not lack. This man is possessed, but only by his possessions. Then she adds, he is the only person in the entire book of Mark who rejects the healing offered to him. Now, are you aware that the world today is full of people just like that rich man? Are you aware that our churches are often filled with people just like that man? Our parents raised us to be successful, to find ourselves a good career so we would make lots of money, and we have. They told us that it was important to get a good education, and so we did. They told us how important it was to do everything correctly, to follow good moral commandments, and to actively participate in our religion. Don't murder. Don't be unfaithful, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Be sure you go to church. We did all those things, and still some of us feel so empty. Teacher, what must we do to find meaningful life and the assurance of salvation? What must we do to have the assurance that God will invite us to share eternity with him? It is interesting that this man was exceedingly wealthy. How he got his wealth, we aren't told. Perhaps he came from a family of wealth and inherited his riches, or maybe he had made it himself by being a successful merchant. Perhaps it was a combination of the two. His wealth, though, had sheltered him from loneliness because rich folks always have friends as long as they have money. His wealth meant that he didn't have the usual worries other people had about paying for the best doctor or providing for his old age. He never knew what it was to be hungry or to worry about where his next meal was coming from or what he would wear. His wealth sheltered him from everything except meaninglessness. 
it did not buy him happiness. It made him think that he really didn't need anything or anybody, not even God. It is also of particular interest to me that this story shows that being very religious isn't enough. This rich man was not only a success in business, he also was what you and I would call a model Christian. Ever since his childhood, he had practiced his faith zealously. He went to his synagogue every Sabbath. He tithed. He was careful to do everything right and to observe all the rules and rituals, but that was not enough to make him feel fulfilled in life or acceptable to God. If anything, it made him feel that he was so good that he didn't need God's mercy. What must he do to have eternal life? Now we're told by Mark that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. That is to say, Jesus felt an unusual kinship with this young man. Except for the wealth, their stories were so very much alike. Jesus, too, had been raised in the faith, just as faithfully as that young man was. Jesus admired that young man and would have liked to have become his close friend. Therefore, Jesus spoke very plainly in love to that young man, you need just one thing. Get rid of those things that possess you that you've learned to depend upon instead of God for your happiness. Get rid of it all. Give it all away. And then follow things my way and follow me. That's when the man's face fell. He went away sadly because he had loads of money that he couldn't part with and loads of goodness that he thought he had earned. How hard it is for rich to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and to emphasize the importance of what he had just said, and to expand the thought to include more than just people with money, Jesus said the words, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. For lots of people, it does seem to be very difficult. Paul Waddell, professor of religious studies at St. Norbert College, says that the unsettling upshot of this gospel passage is that, yes, it may indeed be hard to enter the kingdom of God, but the source of the difficulty comes not from Jesus, but from us. We just won't let go of whatever it is that we're trusting in instead of God. We just can't part with it. We join the disciples then in proclaiming or exclaiming, Who then can be saved? And we hear Jesus answer, With man, it is impossible for anyone to be saved. But not so with God. All things are possible with God. Part of this rich man's trouble was that he depended on his religious practices and the goodness that he supposed it gave him as the reason God should grant him eternal life. He thought he was good enough for God. The idea that eternal life wasn't something that you earn, but was something that God gave you through faith was a foreign idea to this rich, good man. 
Dr. Waddell said, keeping the commandments had brought him to the threshold of God's reign in his life. But in order to cross that threshold, he still had one more thing to do. That one more thing was to turn loose of the things he trusted in so that he could learn what it was to be vulnerable and to depend upon God alone for salvation. Have you made the same mistake that rich, good man made? You thought that it was up to you to become deserving of eternal life and to deserve it. Like that man who was rich in religion, you now hear Jesus saying to you, turn that loose and put your trust instead in God's mercy and God's goodness because that's how you get the assurance of eternal life. It's a gift of God to you. With man, it's just not possible. But with God, all things, even our salvation, is possible. As far as the man's wealth went, having it didn't make him lost, and giving it away wouldn't have saved him. Only trusting in God would save him. What Jesus hoped for this rich man was that he would see that neither wealth nor poverty did him much good. Only God could provide meaning in life. Perhaps if he gave up his security blanket and became vulnerable by being poor, he would see his need for God like the other poor, starving people around Jesus had come to know. It is so easy to hang on to our lesser good than to take a risk and give it up. It's easy to become a slave of our possessions, to make an idol of them, and willingly sacrifice anything, even our principles, our values, our relationships with others, even an eternity with God, in order to hang on to our possessions. It's also very difficult to let go of various addictions and bad habits. Jesus employed another hyperbole like we talked about a few weeks ago to show just how difficult it is for us to value God over our possessions. Oh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Now this was such an absurd hyperbole that some folks across the years have tried to soften it, water it down just a bit. Maybe the word camel should have been translated rope or cord so that Jesus was talking about a fat thread going through the eye of the needle. Or maybe Jesus was talking about a gate in the city that's so tiny that a camel can barely get through it. But then again, folks in Jesus' day joked about fitting an elephant through the eye of a sewing needle so why not a camel? The point is, salvation for any of us is utterly impossible without God. Without God's doing it, helping us break the bondage to possessions or addictions or habits or trusting in our own righteousness, none of us will make it. With man, this is impossible, Jesus said, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Well, God is here today to help you break free of whatever bondage has kept you from finding meaning in life here on earth and to also give you the assurance of eternal life. 
We really don't know the end of this story in Mark. The man's face fell, but maybe it didn't stay on the ground. What if, after going back home and mulling over Jesus' words for a few days, what if this young rich man broke free from that which possessed him and came back to Jesus and became his follower? What if he came to the awareness that his personal goodness was not good enough to save him? Surely the same Savior who looked at this man and loved him would always be looking in hope for that man's return, even as Jesus looks in love at you this day and hopes for your return to him. Amen.